G'day, it's Phil here. So far in this special series of Series 10 of the Game Changers podcast, we've had the privilege of getting to know Lorna Began and watching the way she not only walks the walk, she talks the talk and she talks the walk and walks the talk all at the same time. She is the model for becoming future fit. She is the model for continuous learning. She's a really lovely person as well, so I'm really, really enjoying getting to know her. I'm excited to learn more. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, could you tell us a little bit about our Series 10 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. Over the past decade, the team from A School for Tomorrow has been working with hundreds of thousands of members of school communities across the world to think about the character of an excellent education. They've concentrated their learning about what makes a school thrive into a unique suite of digital survey tools called Thriving for students, teachers, and schools. To learn how you can help your school measure how well it's achieving its purpose, go to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash thriving. Let's go. Hello, Lorna. How are you? Very well, thank you. That's good to hear. I'm, uh, thank you very much for the way in which you've shared so openly and willingly in the process so far of being on the Game Changes podcast. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. I want to launch straight into the work that you're doing right now. So you are Deputy Principal at Genetano FCJ. For those who don't know, FCJ are the faithful companions of Jesus, and I might get you to talk about them a little bit later in this episode. You're in Melbourne. You work at um, a very distinguished school for girls um, with a long history. It's exactly the sort of school that in many parts of the world is can become very dusty and very rusted in place. You're not letting that happen, though, are you? You and the team around you are not letting that happen. Let's kick off with a big question. What's the big step forward and up that you and your colleagues are trying to achieve at Janet Zana? Well, we are really working to reframe the narrative of schooling to embrace the new paradigm of learning for both staff and students. My role is is very much in terms of uh, strategy and innovation at the moment, and uh, I was really attracted to come to Genizano from Perth in in many ways because of its uh, institute, uh, an area and an institute for research and action research for, for teachers and professional learning Really, I thought that's where the kind of heart was, as, as Todd Whitaker says, if you're going to you know, tell me, if you want to see how the culture's changed, let's see what the adults are actually doing. And I felt that was really um, hitting the brief. But, you know, I'm aware that in these kind of very volatile VUCA times that uh, we really do need to reframe education and it was happening long before 2019. I get a bit irritated by people blaming COVID. Uh, I think COVID just made us a little put a little comma in there um, to make us recalibrate. But the need to change is huge. And, and at Genizana, we want to be leaders. The founder of the college, Mary Madeline Douay, was a leader and a pioneer in her own right with courage and confidence to 
uh, offer education to uh, students in, in their various gifts. Um, and that's what uh, Jen's really about. It's being at the forefront of girls' education and redefining that education narrative, looking at school um, and really saying, is it fit for purpose for this third millennium? Well, there you go. There's just a few things that you could get knocked off before Thursday afternoon next week. The mm-hmm. ambition there is is wonderful. Thank you for talking about Booker Times, my friend and a good friend of both the Game Changers and the School of Tomorrow, Dr Lawrence Wainwright, who's at the Smith School at Oxford. He would talk about tuna times. He would talk about turbulent, uncertain, novel and ambiguous at the same time. Do you reckon school's ever really been anything other than turbulent, uncertain, novel and ambiguous, especially for the kids, especially for adolescents? I do think the world is, is changing much faster. I think the education I had, as we've talked about, was perhaps a, a traditional model that my grandparents would have had. I, I'm very confident that my parents knew how to raise me in a sense. There was, there was a model, there was, there was a book. They didn't know quite how you know, their masterpiece was going to turn out. But there, there was a sense of a community. As I said, like there was a regularity. Mum was at home. Uh, Dad went to work. Uh, and, and whilst all that kind of society um, you know, is very traditional, there was a known. But what is different is that technological advancement, that you know, absolute rapidity from I remember actually I was I went to the day I went to boarding school my my sister said we need a phone Lorna's not going to be able to contact you and my sister went out and bought got us a phone so that this white old telephone was there um but that was the first time we, we never needed a phone before that so 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 again I you know I'm sorry to cut in I can remember being in boarding school and having one phone for nearly a hundred kids. What a glorious thing that was because I could be as cut off and as distant and as free and as adventuring as I wanted to be because there was only one phone. I, I worry about kids today because everyone's got a phone. When do you get to live your life as opposed to separating yourself from the apron strings? Can we, can we go back for a moment and, and start talking about the role of your institute? Uh, we, we talk about centres for amazing things um, because we're never quite sure what to call these centres that, that uh, pop up in schools. They're places of activity and there are decisions that are made about them. Your role is strategy and innovation. A key feature of strategy, of course, is the decisions that you make not to do something as well as the decisions you make to do something. Talk us through exactly what your institute is trying to do, what you've chosen to focus on and what you've chosen not to focus on. Yeah, so the institute um, at Genzano was first and foremost uh, a, an institute to investigate neuroscience and the science of learning in collaboration with the University of Melbourne. And it was, uh, its aim was to, in, to have a whole school approach to professional learning and to get everybody on the same page to empower the learning 
narratives within each and every one of our classrooms. Uh, that encouraged teachers to be active researchers, action researchers, to do their own research, to carry out their own research, to report on it uh, and to, to, to bring it back and share with colleagues. So it, it became this really learning culture that was developed. In addition, the Institute actively works to have strategic partnerships with key industry specialists, uh, group organisations, community organisations, including universities, and they're really rich environments uh, that uh, people can bring various pieces of knowledge uh, to. So yesterday, um, as part of the kind of the future of medicine and engineering, St. Vincent's, we've got a, a wonderful partnership we launched yesterday with uh, the St. Vincent's Foundation and the Sisterhood of St. Vincent's with our, our Year 9s. And that's a, an amazing program that we're offering a micro-credential in philanthropy, but also um, uh, an awareness that the future of medicine is medical engineering and, and opening up this whole world of technology and science and medicine for our students. Um, so these are authentic partnerships. Uh, the students all went um, yesterday and worked on campaigns uh, for philanthropy and suggestions, but they were so committed and uh, an authentic assessment that they really want to actually, you know, bring to life. It was quite amazing to see that. Added to that, we have these key signature programs that uh, we have uh, been involved with um, for each of the kind of age and stage uh, and, and offering, you know, very, very different experiences for students to, to realise how rich and holistic an education can be. And added to that, most recently, it's that redefining the narrative of school um, to the point of uh, creating centres of excellence at the college with a belief that even there's a, a studio beyond, that uh, you never have to leave, Jen, if you don't want to, but to extend learning within the community, to allow students to have much more bespoke options to their learning, to be in more control to engage with our partners if required, to accelerate with university studies, to be the elite sports person or dancer, or, or to balance well-being concerns. Uh, we're very aware that you know, throughout the community, many students are struggling with a return to school, and many students really benefited from those remote learning opportunities where it wasn't so kind of intense and, and what can we take from that learning and what does school really need to be? So this is where we're really looking at how can we bespoke, personalise learning for the students and what they particularly need to grow and develop. Okay, all right. What I want to do is, again, I want to pull apart a bunch of what you've been talking about there, and I want you to defend some choices that you've made along the way. So we're going to play a little bit of a game with this because this isn't necessarily, I guess, where I'm coming from, but there, are some, there will be some people out there whose eyebrows are being significantly raised and whose, whose foreheads will be furrowed at this point in time because you're talking about things that seem a little counterintuitive. So let's pick up the first question. First question I have for you. 
why is it so important to work on adult learning and partnerships with bodies outside the school that influence adult learning? We're talking about kids learning. We're talking about learning. We're talking about a learning ecosystem. We're talking about developing a learning community. That's what we're doing. And everybody wants to to, to learn in some way and, and that we don't all have to be the repository. There's, there's that whole idea that teachers just need to let go and actually <laughs> letting go, whether it's the 80-20 rule, um, you know, which, which uh, yeah, I totally endorse. Like you can just emancipate yourself as a teacher to invite other people. There are so many different people in, involved and wanting to get involved with schools to volunteer their time, their expertise, whether it's your parents, whether it's your local community, whether it's the the universities. Yes, there can be benefits uh, to both, but kids learning is learning. The kids go home, it's their world. The you know we hear all those kind of things. We can't predict what jobs they're going to have, the students that are entering school now. And one of the things that COVID has shown is that it's really shone a light on teachers' work and the students who've come back are very, very different. And they're aware that don't teach me anything that I can get in a textbook. Don't teach me anything that I can just watch quickly on YouTube at double the speed. Teach me something that I can't get in those other places. Teach me something that I want to know, I need to know, but I need, you know, whether it's the soft skills, whether it's the life skills, actually having people yesterday, say, for example, um, from the uh, St. Vincent's Institute, we had two alumnus who came and spoke. We had um, an orthopedic surgeon who spoke about women and what what she encountered. But for every single one of those people sitting there, the students saw their future, planted a seed, realized there were different things, and the motivation was absolutely extraordinary. And the teachers were all enthused and excited. It suddenly became this really rich learning experience for everybody. And it okay. pays dividends in so many ways. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put to you another question in and around this sort of thing. You've posed this idea of a broad learning community and that it excites and innovates and empowers. And yet I've been reading recently particularly through certain parts of our organised media, that it's actually all about knowledge and filling kids up with knowledge and it's all about direct instruction. So why don't we just stop all this nonsense and just teach kids more stuff? So direct instruction definitely has its place and it can be very efficient. But uh, that Mary Kondo, if it doesn't spark joy, declutter it. it. There's just too much. Literacy, numeracy, absolutely. They're, they're, they're key, they're important, but if they're core, they can be taught through any context. And that's what I think is really significant, to not move through chapters, to not move through that the content is important, the knowledge, but there are times when it needs to be deep there are times when it needs to be wide and what we need students to leave school with is a a learner profile that's jagged that has a kind of they've got an awareness of of who they are 
and what their particular passion and skill is. Not that they're just all coloured in and everybody looks the same and tick, used by date, expired, leave school, stamped. Uh-huh. I'm glad mm-hmm. you mentioned this because you've talked a lot about this funny notion of bespoke education and different pathways and different experiences along the way. Surely education is about fitting students to a model, about compliance with minimum requirements that they all need to leave, leave with, about ticking boxes along the way. Why is there a need for all of this individualization this personalization of the process because all that other stuff exists in the internet uh is is there can be found easily there's never been a time that's more important to be human i was mentioning before the you know that the rapidity of progress and innovation has meant that the telephone followed by the internet for computers to the smartphones to this now potential of a metaverse is is real and extraordinary to think about how the our imaginary can even be um you know part of our our education kind of system and what i mean there's a there's a huge danger there but the potential is enormous in terms of ai and and what can happen and if anything what really it's saying it's it's not content uh it's not getting the answers right it's asking the right questions or coming up with the problems that haven't even been um invented it's looking at what it what ultimately means to be a human being I mean it's very you know the medicine uh, is saying that the future is engineering the future is robots you know in many ways lots of those professions are and perhaps even school uh, we have found that there are the, the, the hybrid models learning all of that can take place if you can put on an ai headset and a bodysuit and immerse anywhere in the world and go back you know to ancient egypt and experience it and have a guide and whatever um where does that leave a chapter in a textbook i mean it leaves it for dust but what schools then need to come back to is what sparks joy if that's uh the case declutter it get the relationship and have this amazing com- community that is not fueled by competition. You are not only a very, very good sport putting up with these directly provocative questions, you're absolutely inspirational in the way that you're answering and that you're providing an explanation of why today's learning for tomorrow's world needs to take this shape, why it needs to reflect the nature uh, of our times. You know, our, our currency is ambiguity. Our currency is the liminal space that exists between you and me. Um, it's the complexity. It's the uncertainty. You know, we need, we need to equip and we need to empower and we need to enable students to step into this with confidence, knowing that they're not going to get it all right along the way, but that's okay. And to do that, I guess we need to model that ourselves. And I guess that's why we need to, Look at adult learning because how are the kids ever going to learn if the adults aren't learners? It just doesn't make sense to me. I want to ask you about micro-credentialing. Again, let's make the assumption that there are some people out there who don't really understand um, at this stage the relationship of micro-credentialing to school learning. So can you give us 
the 30 second explanation of what it is and then talk to us a, a little bit about why it's important. So micro-credentialing is at its early stages in many ways in education, but what it is is recognition for learning that is contained and is evaluated and uh, assessed that allows a student to document their learning moving forward. So we're finding that micro-credentials are things that are hard to assess, things that um, in many ways are off the standard enacted curriculum. This is where this is really the, the sweet spot to find out what students want to do and follow that kind of passion. So there are times when the standard curriculum isn't jagged enough in terms of computing, coding, kids who are off the scale. So by connecting with experts or building a bespoke micro-credential course really allows uh, students to hone in, to dig deep, to go sharp. Um, we have students who want to explore specific aspects of music. Now, we may not have a whole class that want to be at that exquisite kind of top level, but don't bring everybody down to say, come back, don't go too fast, you're still on this level. Why not allow and build different levels of micro-credentials to allow students to stretch, but to recognise their work? It really came out of um, some of the programmes that we were already offering at GEN, particularly, say, for example, at Year 9, we, we have a bespoke program we, you know, for the Year 9 cohort. They're doing a whole load of things. But we were aware that, and this is where the compulsion was, you're more than a number. Um, ATAR, you know, to me, it's so counterintuitive um, to compete and rank students in this way. Um, you know, it, it, it's such an anathema uh, even to, you know, European kind of um, mindset. But it's what works kind of in Australia and has, and it's, it's all I've kind of known since my teaching. But students left school and said, well, I got an ATAR of 88, I got one of 72. And you're like, well, where did you exhibit resilience? Where did you show your grit? Where were you able to exhibit some of your soft skills and critical creative thinking or collaboration? They, they would say, say nothing. Um, so this is where uh, the micro-credential, this is something we encourage all our year nines, they're involved in, if they do their program, they complete the assessments, they um, go through the, the various steps um, with the ability that they can fail them. Uh, so not everybody gets them. And it does require dedication and commitment uh, and to follow through. Then there is this uh, micro-credential badge that we offer them, which takes, you know, it stands there as a moment in time of something that they achieved, which of course can then go on to a digital profile, a digital portfolio, uh, and kind of get a sense of their learning profile. But it, it causes them to not just do something, but to reflect and understand the why behind why they might be jumping off a cliff and 
what they need to learn from that and how they got there in the first place and, and, and those kind of things. So tell, me, tell, me, tell, tell me, Laura, you mentioned digital profile there. What's the difference between a digital profile or a learner profile or a set of graduate outcomes and a CV? So for me, a learner profile is something that the student really continues to nurture and grow throughout their schooling. So at GEN, it's part of our Genizano Institute, uh, so all our year sevens and eights have, have completed an iLearn profile, which builds their learning profile and a series of questions that are both academic and well-being and goal-setting and uh, a whole lot of different things as they reflect on their teaching. Um, that then is built into um, a profile which they then nurture and enhance throughout their schooling and to really get a sense of, of, of where, where they sit, where their strengths are or where, where have they perhaps only focused on one area and, and not. And this then becomes a kind of sense at the end of your school at year 12, it's a, uh, a mixture of goals, best work, holistic achievement, their character strengths. Um, so it's very much something that they own that empowers their journey, whereas a CV is much more and, and now even they've gone so far, you know, they want one-page CV, two-page is just a kind of snapshot of tick-the-boxes things that uh, somebody will say for potential employment. This is, this is so much more than getting a job. This is about your life and what you want to do with it. In the middle of all this innovation, in the middle of all this response to VUCA and TUNA and all of that sort of stuff, there's the FCJ charism. Mm -hmm. What's the role of this sort of thing? Is it, you know, this is, this is something from a former time and a former world. How does this continue to be relevant for the students at your school? It's relevant because we're still human. <laughs> and having said all this, the schools of the future that are future fit, you know, this idea that anytime, anywhere learning brings me back to that's what the hedge schools in Ireland were. Like go and learn Latin in the hedge grow children from the whole community, Hans Christian Andersen, anybody wanting to listen to a story, anytime, any place, right now, we can have a learning experience. So the FCJ charism at Genizano is very much informed by the Ignatian tradition. And it's all about knowledge, action, reflection in that kind of continuous motion. You acquire something, you act on it, you reflect. There's the importance of discernment, of taking stock, which is exactly what a micro-credential is saying. It's exactly, <laughs> it's, it's not new. Um, I don't know any of this is, is new. It's just from the heart and, and from the head. Uh, what do people need? We need to connect. Uh, we need to feel valued. We need to have companionship, which is what the FCJ is. None of us are alone and none of us can do this alone. None of us would want to do it alone. But together, we can do amazing things. 
and support one another. So the FCJ charism and the idea of Mary Madeline, the motto of courage and confidence, it's never been a more relevant saying. There's never been a more important time in education to have these conversations, to be brave enough to look at the new paradigm and to to work at where is it heading? Where is it going? My fear is that schools are still very traditional, safe, conservative. There's this um, tension between school councils, the parent body, the students, that, and the society to say what role does school actually feel, uh, fulfil? And it's all dependent on an economy. Like that's where get the kids back to school because of their learning. Most of the time it was because the parents need to get back to work. <laughs> the, the learning kind of conversation sometimes was lost. The, the growth in the exponential growth in the need for well-being issues over COVID, they were always there. Um, teachers were just there to, to shoulder a huge amount of that burden that we were never trained to do. It's very different if you go to a French school where pastoral care doesn't feature to, to, to a great extent. It's, I'm here to teach you Latin. Um, whether you're happy learning Latin um, may be an incidental, but it's not my kind of role. And I think this is where um, the model needs to change. But if it is going to change, it will take bravery and we will need some leaders. And we've got outliers there. But the mainstream is still very much the same as it's been for 200 years. Um, we've had those kind of anecdotes. Like you would never want a, a doctor to say, I got trained in 1970 and I'm still doing the same thing. Yeah, you wouldn't want them to say, I'm good at applying leeches. Mm. You know, and you sit there and you go, well, now we still have teachers who believe in learning styles. Hey, Lorna, I reckon this is a really good spot for us to finish. I don't think I need to say much more, really. I've learned so much from having the opportunity to share in your life and, and, and really appreciate the way in which you've been um, so willing to open up the rich learning experiences that you've had and the opportunities that you've had and are still having to lead in a school that is showing the way forward. Thank you very much. I think you're a game changer. And I know that our listeners will too and will very much appreciate the work that you're doing, but also the way in which you're connecting with them through your narrative. So thank you very much. Thank you for this opportunity. And uh, if I can be of any help out there, none of us can do this alone. Please uh, find me on LinkedIn, connect, and uh, let's see, can we keep moving forward to be future fit? Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.